0: You are back with The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. This is Katherine Cruz. House and Senate leadership have been working nonstop since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. If you recall, legislators were forced to work remotely as the Capitol shut down last year when one lawmaker tested positive for the virus. That meant that public access was curtailed. Representative Della Albaladi is the House Majority Leader. She talks to us about what the House is doing to improve technological access as it moves to begin the work of the people.
1: Priorities this session will focus on addressing the pandemic, so health concerns, recovering for our economy, and then just addressing both short- and long-term budget issues, revenue issues facing our state. Dealing with access issues, you know, we are still in the midst of a pandemic. While vaccines are starting to roll out, they're rolling out slowly. And even when we have vaccines, public health is still a concern, masking social distancing are all things we need to still practice because we don't know about transmissibility of the of the covid 19 even though wider groups of people will have vaccines so the the capital will remain closed to the public members and uh, authorized staffed are meeting in person uh, all of the hearings are going to be conducted virtually here on the house side We are having members who are going to be voting and questioning in person So they are hearing room, rooms have all been set up to be socially distanced We all are going to be equipped with our laptops and our computers to be able to zoom uh, The public will be able to participate in the meetings um, virtually via Zoom and they're going to be able to also submit written testimony as well as present oral testimony virtually. You know, so many um, uh, legislatures across the country are doing some form of virtual participation and so I think Hawaii is just falling in line and again for the House, health and safety of the public as well as health and safety of the staff um, who number over 500. Uh, in the capital, when you think about everybody in the capital, um, is really of primary concern. So we believe that the access that we've developed is going to be both safe and effective.
0: And there have been some technical snafus along the way. Uh, How are we going to address those?
1: You know, I think we've all struggled through with learning how to deal with technology. We're going to have to uh, see when the system um, is uh, potentially overrun, but I think there have been so many... um, Upgrades we've done to the system. There's been a lot been done with um, making sure we have enough fiber coming into the building, um, equipping our members with, again, Zoom accounts and laptops. I think the challenge, too, and what people are going to have to be patient about, is that people themselves, the public, may not have access in their areas, whether it's lack of Internet access um, or access to computers and devices. But really, when you look at this, um, you know, there has long been a call for us to try to have an option virtually. So we're forced into it now by the pandemic. And I think we're gonna see where in our community there are needs. Um, Again, my hope is because we're doing this virtually and it's actually providing more access to some folks who never ever have been able to fly to the Capitol. Um, We're gonna see both where there are are, uh, successes, where there are gaps, where there remain challenges. And then I think um, from here on out, uh, I don't know how we don't allow some amount of virtual testimony at some point because this really has been a game changer, not just for us, but for the, uh, for everyone in the in the workforce, um, everyone in the world who's now teleworking. Um, I think this is a real game changer in our in our workplaces.
0: And getting back to the uh, priorities of the House this session, there's just going to be this tremendous shortfall over several years, and we've got to, I guess, be lean and mean, you know, when it comes to Figuring out, do we have to cut government services?
1: You are absolutely right, Catherine. I think we're having to ask ourselves the question about what is government? What, does, what is the most important things government has to do? Becoming leaner and meaner is just something that's going to be part of 2021. Like you said, the effects of this pandemic are going to go with us for a long time. We're going to feel it. So the things that we're looking at, how do we restructure government? How do we smartly um, impose tax revenue enhancements? How do we think about ways in which government can be more efficient while providing the most necessary services? Those are all going to be things on the table.
0: And we don't have the details yet from uh, the governor's office on uh, what types of tax hikes might be in the offing. I mean, nobody wants to raise taxes. Nobody really wants to furlough or lay off any government workers, but uh, we've got to have a plan.
1: Yes. And so that's what the, a 60-day legislative session will do, or 55-day legislative session now will do. We have shortened the session by one week approximately. And so we're going to be evaluating. There is a range of ideas coming out of the state house. There are, of course, people who don't want us to, don't want to see us tax our way out of this Economic crisis, but there are some smart tax measures that we can look at. Whether it's determining how do we impose taxes on higher incomes in a, income earners in a smart way, as well as how do we maybe look at some other taxes like green fees or the barrel tax fee, as we begin to reimagine tourism and, you know, the use of fossil fuels and all, and all of those other things. So, so we are going to be also tying some policy, some good policy initiatives, as well as to any discussions about tax revenue enhancement. Uh,
0: anything else you can share with us, just more on the, the priority list that the House has?
1: You know, I think how do we rethink county-state relationships is going to be kind of a theme that we see emerging topics like uh, emergency medical services are going to be looked at. Um, you know, schools, which are typically funded um, in other states by counties, right? Here in Hawaii, we have this unique system of a statewide school system. Um, So I think those kinds of conversations about what are county functions, what are state functions, how do we utilize our revenue streams to be able to pay for these important features of government are going to be topics of discussion.
0: And as far as the uh, pandemic filter and some of the costs that different departments have had to outlay from the get-go. I I think the latest one is uh, the Department of Education. Some of the PPE they went and uh, purchased early on. I think they were looking for reimbursements, but uh, I don't know if that's something that then lawmakers will have to address.
1: We will be looking at um, a lot of those issues. And, you know, for um, the House, we have a Pandemic and Disaster Preparedness Committee that's going to be taking a lead on a lot of those issues um, chaired by uh, Linda Ichiyama, who's a new chair, but a veteran in the, in the house. So yes, we are going to be taking up those issues. You know, contact tracing is still going to be an issue testing. And now the vaccination rollout, some of the things that we were going to want to look at, of course, is the federal monies that are going to be coming down. And with the transition of a new president, I think there are going to be more resources to those pandemic needs so certainly we're going to be looking at what the new president and the new congress does in the in their first 100 days.
0: And then did I see something about a progressive caucus?
1: Yes, there is a creation of a progressive legislative caucus that's going to be co-convened I believe by returning legislator uh, Matt Lopresti.
0: Talk about that. I mean that's kind of a little different take.
1: Sure. You know caucuses are have a long tradition here in the house. Uh, I would actually make a plug for the women's legislative caucus. So I think you know these are groups of senators of like-minded ideas. You know, we have a Kapuna Caucus, a Keiki Caucus. So like-minded ideas or a specific constituency, the Progressive Legislative Caucus is being brought back by returning legislator uh, Matt LaPresci. So I'm interested in some of the initiatives and the conversations that may come out of them. Not all of our caucuses introduce bills, but it is certainly a source of good conversation as as well as a place where stakeholders, community stakeholders also find a voice
0: And we saw some talk about, you know, gambling, uh, casinos. I don't know, do you think there is appetite for that in the House?
1: I think there's appetite in it for a discussion. I think there's also going to be opposition. That opposition is mirrored in the public. You know, we've already received petitions from thousands of beneficiaries who are opposed to the notion of a a, uh, casino. But then, of course, we've heard from folks, you know, within DHHL who are supporting it. So I think you know, as with any legislative session, this is the time to have the conversation.
0: Okay. All right. Anything else you want to add?
1: No, just thank you, and thank you for your listeners for being engaged. It's so important now as we see the kind of uncivil discourse that, that happens that um, HPR is a source where we can have the civil dialogue, and I really appreciate it.
0: That was Representative Della Maladi talking with us about the House priorities for this upcoming session. is the conversation on statewide member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Up next, your backyard quiz. <laughs> Today, we take you on a musical journey back to the 1930s. Known to many as the father of hapa Hauli songs, Albert Sunny Cunha is credited with being one of the first Hawaiian composers to popularize the music defined by the use of English l- lyrics over Hawaiian songs. Cunha has a lengthy list of credits to his name, but some of his most famous hits are Honolulu Tomboy, On the Beach at Waikiki, and Hula Blues. With the production of his book, Famous Hawaiian Songs, he was also credited with being one of the first musicians to publish and market hapahaole music to a wider audience. For today's quiz, we're asking you to name his very first hit song written in 1903. Call 941-3689 or 877-941-3689 if you know the answer. The first one to get it right gets a reusable tote bag that tells people you got it right.
2: Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from Neirete Hawaii, which represents real estate businesses committed to supporting affordable housing statewide, along with civic and community initiatives for residents. Learn more at neiretehawaii.com.
0: Earlier in the hour, we heard from House Majority Leader Della albalati uh, talking about House priorities. We now hear from Majority Leader Senator Kalani English. Each House operates with their own rules. And as we heard, the House members will meet in person with proper distancing. In contrast, the Senate will be able to vote remotely. Here's Senator Kalani English talking about public access since the Capitol building remains closed. Since
3: the pandemic, the early days of the pandemic, you know, we went to very few people in the room. So... We have no more than five people in, in a room at a time. So if you think about it, it's usually the chair, vice chair, one member, and two staff members, right? The rest of the uh, committee is done remotely. So one big difference between the House and the Senate is that the, Ho- the Senate has adopted rules uh, to allow for remote participation of our members, which means that our members can do not have to be physically present but they must be visible and audible on uh, remote technology in order to participate and to vote. So we can do this in all of our committees. We can do this on the Senate floor. Now the House requires all members to be physically present in each room to vote and, each, and physically present on the floor. So, you know, I'm not sure how they're going to handle, you know, social distancing, um, all of that stuff. But for us, we have it handled. Yeah, we're, our people are participating um, remotely. So with that big difference, um, it means that we can do a committee hearing with simply the chair in the in the office, or if the chair decides to do it remotely themselves, they don't need to be in the hearing room. But if people want to testify, they need to create an account at legislators' portal, which is capital, with an O, C-A-P-I-T-O-L, capital.hawaii.gov. Uh, you create a, an account because you know, we need to know who you are, right? And then from that account, you can submit testimony. So the big difference is we're only accepting written testimony first. So everybody has to submit written testimony. If you want to testify verbally uh, and re- remotely, when you put your written testimony in, there'll be a box to check that says, I would like to testify. Then what that would do is generate an email to the email that you registered with, um, about three hours before the meeting, there'll be a link sent to you to get in line. We ask that you come on to the link, the Zoom link, about half hour before your scheduled time. And you'll be in the waiting room. And as it gets closer and as you get teed up, you'll be allowed in. You can do your testimony. We are putting time limit. Depends on the chairs, but a couple minutes, maybe two or three minutes. And then, you know, then they can provide their virtual testimony. So some of the differences is that we have had... You know, previously we've been very lax about the 24-hour rule. That means, you know, you have to get your testimony in 24 hours before. Uh, really, that rule is to give the senators and the staff a chance to read all of the uh, testimony. That was in the past, so we could accept late testimony. Um, you know, the, the chairs would try and read it very quickly. But now the technology demands that we have a time to correlate put together all of the testimony that comes in electronically so that, you know, it goes out onto our system. And part of our system is that the public and the senators get it all at the exact same time. It's the exact same file. So they need that 24-hour turnaround time to compile everything, quickly get it onto our system so that the senators can read it. So, you know, the, we're, we're telling people, please, that if you get it in late, it's not going to be—it won't make it on the record. It won't be there. I mean— We may, you know, the senators, I think, would look at it, but it won't be there for the public to see. And so we're really being strict on please get it in 24 hours beforehand so that, you know, it's there on the record. and Everybody can see what you are just saying. And what's really, uh, for me, representing Molokai, Lanai, and upcountry in East Maui, you know, I suddenly have the ability to have my constituents fully participate because this system now, the, the tyranny of distance is gone right previously if someone wanted to testify from you know molokai and they'd have to get on a plane from molokai come to oahu come to the capital
4: yeah there's the expense testimony. and then
3: now they Not just fair. sign up provide their written testimony sign up press their button and they're here they, they're testifying just like everybody else so it's it's a great equalizing force
0: how are you looking at the economic crisis and the recovery
3: well So there's a a number of points. Um, You know, we have you cannot look at economic recovery on on its own and as a standalone. I mean, it has to be in the context of what we are globally, which is we're in the middle of a pandemic. And I want to stress that we're not at the end of a pandemic. We're at the middle of a pandemic. And health and safety is the priority. Many people have done the very simplistic view of saying, well, it's health and safety versus economic economics. And on a simplistic level, you know, people can see it that way. But you know, really it's all wrapped together. If we don't have health and safety, there is no economy. If you if you have everybody sick, nobody's out spending money, nobody's producing anything, the economy stops. So we're our view is a very a more holistic one of we have to ensure health and safety of everybody so that our economy can thrive, our cultures can thrive, our society can thrive, our people can live in safety. So with that context, right, we're looking at it that yes, we need to ensure health and safety first, which will then help us to revitalize the economy. Now, to get to the you know some of the economic sides of it, um, we're very hopeful with the change in federal administration next week that there'll be more federal aid to, to the states. So under the previous administration, um, you know what they did was they cut uh, a lot of aid to the states and gave it to large um, large corporations instead. Uh, the Biden administration the incoming administration has said that they will provide more direct support to states. So you know for example for us in Hawaii the diff- that meant that we that the governor did not have to do furloughs that, that extra money that was that Biden said he would put in helped uh, the governor to make the decision that okay we don't have to do furloughs so we're hoping that there'll be greater federal aid. We're also looking at things like streamlining processes, streamlining as much as we possibly can. And because there's been a sea shift in attitude towards remote technologies, so before the pandemic, you know, it was very little. and People were using it, but not at the scale we're using it now. With that, you know, we're looking at wholesale changes in how things operate. For example, we have whole you know, departments and whole sections working from home. We're getting feedback from businesses, uh, at least the larger businesses have said that, you know, for, and these are real approximate numbers, yeah, but for every person working at home, it saves the company about $11,000 a year in expenses, you know, for office expenses, right? And this is, these again, It it's wide, it's the average, mean average. It's not, you know, it's not the exact number. And also we're looking, you know, we've asked, the biggest companies in Hawaii, the Hawaii Business Roundtable, you know, they have 50 of Hawaii's largest companies. Um, we've asked them to, you know, if they would track for us um, the productivity levels of their employees, because what we, you know, what we're seeing anecdotally is that actually work product has gone up, and so you know, it goes back to human nature, right? I mean, if I have to get in a car every morning, get dressed, the old, the old model, go into work, you work, and you finish at five. By five, you're shutting everything down. You're going home, but most people, when they're working from home, you know they're doing things during the day, yes, but they're also trying to finish the job. And we've noticed that they they'll work later and work longer to finish the task right before them. So we don't have the, the hard studies yet, but we have the anecdotal data that says productivity has gone up. So you know, with that, we're looking at how do we how do we encourage this and you know, there has to be some, some local, I know a couple of counties, technically, it's illegal to work from home, right, in their county ordinances. So they have to change that, you know, because technically everybody's violating the law, but the circumstances dictate it. And, you know, we think that this is a good thing because it cuts down on carbon emissions. It cuts down on, you know, movement of cars. Uh, one of the downsides of all of that was that the fuel tax is way down because, you know, people have not driven as much as they normally do. So, you know, we, there's wholesale adjustment across the government to deal with these changes.
0: Okay, so it's really about uh, improving efficiencies now that we know what we know.
3: Yeah, and we're trying to get more more hard data, right? Okay. I mean, it'll take some time to get those studies. Okay, so, so that's
0: basically the filter that you folks are using as we that's go one forward. one of the filters. Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: the main one for us, though, is, you know, um, every year the Senate puts out a legislative program and the Senate legislative program is the entire Senate so it's a bipartisan issue right it's a bipartisan endeavor and we've done this for the last few years maybe 6 years and what we do is we've correlated the issues before us with the UN sustainable development goals and we prioritize those so this year we've have you know we have 10 of those at our front of course health and wellness is the overarching theme but we've took you know the issues that senators brought to the table That were in their districts we put that into a chart from that chart we saw where the clusters were and then we catwalked that across to the 17 sustainable development goals and then we came up with our priorities so instead of doing a package of bills that say these are the you know the because it's a bipartisan issue right because we've included our minority and he works works with us on all of this we don't have a package of bills that says here's the Senate's priorities instead what we're saying is take these 10 goals that we've enumerated here and incorporate them into all of your bills, incorporate them into all of your resolutions. So this way, you know, we're, we're trying to achieve these goals and achieve the Senate legislative program by embedding it in all the bills going across.
0: And those sustainable development goals include everything from good health to clean energy to innovation. We were hearing from Maui Senator Kalani English. The majority leader was talking about public access and the priorities of the Senate as we prepare to begin the 2021 legislative session. And a reminder again, the state capitol is still closed. So the traditional open house and festive uh, ceremonies are are being scaled back. The opening session, which starts at 10 a.m., will be held remotely. There are security concerns, so barriers now surround the rotunda, and the public is being discouraged from going down there. Again, stay safe, stay away for now.
2: Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Ken and Patty Kupchak for the Friends of Hakalau Forest National Wildlife Refuge, a nonprofit devoted to conserving the unique flora and fauna of Hawaii Island. More about how to help protect rare and endangered birds and plants at friendsofhakalaoforest.org. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists.
5: Hello, I'm Michael Mead, author of Awakening the Soul. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about a deep, soulful response to the troubles of the world.
2: Beginning Sunday morning at 11. Support for HPR comes from Compassion and Choices, celebrating the second anniversary of the Our Care, Our Choice Act, allowing terminally ill adults to request a prescription for medical aid in dying. Compassionandchoices.org slash Hawaii.
0: This morning, HPR's News Director Bill Dorman joins us as we listen to some of the feedback sent in following our story on the arrest of Hawaii resident Nick Oakes uh, in Washington, D.C. last week.
4: Catherine Nick Oakes is the founder of Proud Boys Hawaii. He was, as you say, at the Capitol in Washington as part of that riot last week. He was arrested on his return to Honolulu, charged with unlawful entry into restricted buildings or grounds. He appeared in court on Monday morning. We covered that on the program. We then played a short excerpt from an interview that Noe Tanigawa did with Oaks three years ago when he was organizing a chapter of that right-wing extremist group, the Proud Boys, that the Southern Poverty Law Center calls a hate group. Uh, We heard from several listeners who were very upset that we played that. Uh, Here's Marcus Daniel from Oahu.
5: Hi, my name's Marcus Daniel, and I'm on Oahu. I'm just calling to... uh Criticize your airing of an old interview with, I think it's Nick Oakes of the Proud Boys, one of the leaders and founders of the Proud Boys in Hawaii. I believe that he was actually involved in this assault on the Capitol. In any case, I, I just think it's really, really in poor taste to air that self justifying load of beep bullsh on the radio so soon after events in Washington. This is a white supremacist organization, whatever they say about Western chauvinism, that has played a really insidious role in recent politics, is an unapologetic supporter of Trump. And I just cannot believe that you've chosen to take this particular moment to rebroadcast that. It's just astonishing. Anyway, um, thank you. Bye.
4: Similar reaction from J. Travis Burgesson on the Big Island, who wrote, in part, I'm dismayed and disappointed in your decision to rerun an out-of-date interview with Nicholas Oakes on the conversation yesterday. Rather than wait for an opportunity to press him on his participation on the insurrection, attempting to stop a key function of our democratic process, you aired what can only be called a softball interview, amounting to a PR opportunity for his local group of proud thugs. He also added, whoever made the decision to use the old piece should come forward and apologize for the disservice to the HPR listening audience. And finally, Dieter wrote in to say, "Uh, today I'm torn about your interview with Mr. Oakes. It was very illuminating to hear his slickly presented misogynistic and racist drivel. But hours later, my mind is still reeling about having someone like that in our community. And I wonder if even those few minutes of airtime was too much. Aloha, Dieter. So I did want to come forward myself and talk a bit about why we did this, share a little bit of the thinking behind this, and let me start by saying I hear that criticism. I, I hear you, I feel the pain in those reactions, and I don't minimize any of that. This is never about giving Nick Oaks a platform, but rather about understanding something more about this person who has local links and is very much part of this story. Nick Oakes was part of the mob at the Capitol. He was arrested, as I said, coming off a return flight to Honolulu. We re-aired the interview from several years ago to help answer a basic question and curiosity for our listeners. Who is this guy? As I mentioned, we started off a segment with a report about his arrest on a charge of unlawful entry into restricted buildings or grounds. He was released on a $5,000 bond and faces up to a year in prison if convicted. Noe interviewed him three years ago, and we felt that re-airing a portion of that would help give our listeners some context and background to help answer that that very basic question, who is this person? Several years ago, Noe was early to report that he was organizing a Proud Boys chapter at the University of Hawaii. And while many people may not be comfortable with a group like that being in our community, we felt it was important for our listeners to know that it does exist here. And since the time that interview first aired, by the way, Oakes ran for the state legislature. He got nearly a third of the votes of those who cast ballots. No, he did challenge him on a number of points, and his own comments during the interview give a pretty clear picture of who he is. Uh, The idea is never to give him a platform. He showed himself for what he is in his own words. And we have confidence in our listeners being able to hear that. But we also hear the criticism. The intent here was to add content and context that could help lead to a deeper understanding of one of the threads of what is unquestionably an extremely disturbing and potentially dangerous time for this country.
0: Civil Beat's reality check today examines the Agribusiness Development Corporation and what it has or hasn't done since its creation. Stuart Yurtin covers economic issues for Honolulu Civil Beat and joins us this morning. Hi, Stuart.
6: Hi, Catherine.
0: So your story is about an audit that was just released.
6: Uh, yes, it was. The Hawaii State Auditor uh, came out with an audit of the... Uh, Hawaii Agribusiness Development Corporation, as you mentioned, and uh, it was a uh, very scathing audit, Um, not a lot of good news about this agency in the report. Um, And, you know, one of the things that's, in a way, uh, most troubling about this is that, you know, this has been discussed and had been discussed for years before uh, the audit actually was approved by the legislature. Uh, the Agribusiness Development Corporation had resisted and opposed having this audit done. At one point, the executive director, Jimmy uh, Nakatani, said that it was, he was too busy to be audited. And um, so they had plenty of lead time to get things together. And uh, according to the audit, they, they just didn't.
0: Now, Jimmy Nakatani, I think for folks who may not know, was a former uh, agriculture director for the state. So, uh, yeah, so, some of the the findings in this audit, uh, pretty surprising because, you know, as a, the head of a, a state agency like that, I, you'd think that he would know what needs to get done.
6: Right, to get things together. And uh, again, when we talk about uh, some of the minute things that, that we think of in as in an audit, you know, the The auditor said that the office uh, really was in disarray. Uh, Files were uh, all over the place. Uh, In many cases, documents uh, that seemed to be needed to manage this type of organization were were just missing or didn't exist at all.
0: Yeah, and and this corporation has been around for a while.
6: Right. It's been around for 25 years. And just to give people an understanding of what it does, it, it's set up to convert um, old plantation land into uh, more diversified agriculture, uh, things, different types of crops that can be used to make money, either to export or to grow for local consumption, really re-create uh, our agriculture industry.
0: Right. I mean, and, know, we've all heard diversify, diversify, but you know, when uh, sugar and pineapple... Uh, uh, go under, you know, you got to look at, okay, what else can we do?
6: Right. So they've been buying up land. And, and again, we're, we're talking about a lot of money. I mean, a, a, a appropriated from the legislature, a quarter of a billion dollars in recent years to buy up land, they've bought up a bunch of land. And it just hasn't um, happened. This, this recreation, uh, of an in, in creation of a new type of ag industry led by this organization, uh, really just has not occurred.
0: Now they bought up some of these uh, the lands that belong to the plantations, and uh, your story mentions that the, the lawmakers appropriated what quarter of a billion dollars over the years.
6: Yes, right. So it's quite a bit of money. I'm, I don't know if all of that has been spent, um, but quite a bit has been spent and. Uh, the, the organization has broad powers to buy land. They can do things without the normal uh, sort of oversights that uh, other agencies um, have, which makes us all the more worrisome that they just have not been um, doing things according to plan, according to the law, even um, according to the auditor, uh, one of the things that uh, was missing was a uh, plan, a sort of comprehensive plan for doing all this that's required by law, by the law setting up this agency, just hasn't been done. And when they asked uh, the executive director why it didn't, why it hadn't been done, he said it's all in here and pointed to his head.
0: Okay, but uh, yeah, you think you need to get that done <laughs> on paper so everybody can see <laughs> what the plan is. Yeah
6: right well you would think
0: so so then you know we've got this audit and it seems to me that in this pandemic um, you know we've heard lots of talk about uh, you know looking for uh, other ways to you know drive our economic engine and you would think agriculture would be it
6: Well for uh, for sure I mean it's a, we have huge resources in land it's very good land. Um, we could use it to make money, to export things, or to grow uh, food for our own consumption, um, keep money here. Instead of sending our money elsewhere to bring food from elsewhere, we could, we could um, uh, grow our own food and, and keep the money in the local economy. Um, I can say this, based on our comments, and a state legislature later posted the audit as well, there are a lot of people very upset about this, and again, including um, some state legislators who are discussing it on a Facebook uh, stream. And um, again, our re- our readers are are, are really not uh, happy with this situation.
0: Yes, I saw the comments; they're just piling up. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much, Stuart. I appreciate uh, your story.
6: Thank you, Catherine. Thanks for giving us the time to talk.
0: That was reporter Stuart Yurtin with today's Reality Check. Uh, to read the full story, visit civilbeat.org. Earlier in today's show, we told you about Hawaii composer Albert Sunny Cunha, or as uh, some know him as the father of Hapa Haole songs. Uh, Cunha earned the nickname after writing numerous hits and publishing famous Hawaiian songs, a songbook dedicated entirely to the genre of Hawaiian and Hapa Haole. Uh, Cunha is credited with composing an abundance of musical pieces throughout his career, but some of his most popular tunes are Honolulu Tomboy and Hula Blues. For our quiz, uh, quiz question, we asked you if you knew the name of Kunha's first hit song. It was the very popular 1903 tune, My Waikiki Mermaid. And congratulations to Sid Milburn of Pearl City. You got it right. That's today's quiz. If you have one, send it to talk back at hawaiipublicradio.org.
2: Support for the conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Ekahi Health, Ulupono Initiative, and The Hub Coworking Hawaii. On the next Science Friday, the COVID-19 vaccines come from successful work with other vaccines. This doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes out of hard work, perseverance, comes out of really good formulation, important delivery. Why some states are better at delivery than others,
3: and what COVID-19 has taught us about vaccines of the future. It's all on Science Friday from WNYC Studios.
2: Beginning this afternoon at 1. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from UH Manoa's Osher Lifelong Learning Institute for ages 50 and older, with virtual courses designed to engage the mind and enrich lives. Classes begin Tuesday, January 19th. More by searching Osher Hawaii.
0: You are back with the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. This is Catherine Cruz. Hawaii Island has the largest doctor shortage in the state. That's according to University of Hawaii researchers. The latest Hawaii Physician Workforce Assessment found that Hawaii County has fewer than half of the doctors needed to properly serve the island's population. Joining us with more is HPR reporter Kuuvehi Hirishi. Aloha. Aloha. So just how bad is this problem?
7: Real bad. When speaking
0: to the Big Island
7: doctors that we have spoken to, we're looking at uh, around 53% of the doctors needed to serve patients on the Big Island are not there. And this is also a, a growing problem for the Big Island. Uh, in 2007, uh, or since 2007, nearly 40%, have, we've seen a jump of nearly 40% in this doctor shortage. And that's compared to Oahu numbers, for example, this year, a doctor shortage of about 20%. So. The, it's exacerbated on the neighbor islands, this impact. And Big Island doctors are saying a lot of it has to do with economics.
0: So, what? They're just not making enough money?
7: <laughs> That's what they're saying, yes. Big Island doctors are saying, no, uh, this, it, it's a tough business, and especially for uh, private practice doctors, right? The small business owners of the healthcare provider world. Uh, These doctors are oftentimes the only physicians uh, setting up shops in remote and rural areas, uh, far away from hospitals or other, you know, access to other uh, forms of health care. But they say the high cost of living in these areas, of uh, heavy tax burden here in Hawaii, and low reimbursement uh, through certain insurances have created this bad situation that's uh, likely only to get worse amid the global pandemic.
0: So has this pandemic, you know, made the doctor shortage worse? Statewide, uh, we saw more than 400
7: Hawaii doctors say COVID-19 forced them to close their practices, reduce their hours, or switch to to telehealth. And and that brought the state's overall doctor shortage to more than 1,000. And that's the highest uh, we've seen in the last 10 years or so of assessing the physician workforce here and the Big Island uh, this year accounts for nearly 300 of those empty slots.
0: Okay, so what does that mean if you live on the Big Island? I mean, are you going to have access to the health care you need?
7: Right. Hilo radiologist Dr. Scott Grosskreitz has, has been working on the Big Island for more than a, a quarter century, and he says the doctor shortage has grown to crisis-like uh, proportions, and it can be felt uh, by all residents. There's Grosskreitz
8: I think it's a major concern for folks living on the Outer Islands. It's, it's a rare person that doesn't know somebody that's been affected by it. It might be a friend or a neighbor, a family member that hasn't been able to find a health care provider for their family. Sometimes people are suffering from diseases that go undiagnosed like hypertension or diabetes and, and end up having uh, secondary heart attacks or strokes, uh, there's patients who do not have uh, appropriate screening for things like colon cancer or breast cancer, and, and then they present with advanced disease. So it really it really does have a huge
5: impact.
7: And he says complicating things even further for the Big Island is the fact that the doctors that are in practice are aging. He says one-third of uh, the doctors on Hawaii Island are in their late 60s or 70s making it uh, more pertinent perhaps or urgent uh, to recruit new doctors to fill that gap once uh, these doctors uh, begin retiring.
0: You know, at one time someone told me, if you go to the Big Island, make sure you don't break any bones, because I remember they didn't have uh, an orthopedic surgeon available, and you'd have to wait until you could fly out to Honolulu to set your you know, arm or your leg or whatever it was. But, you know, um, what's being done to kind of uh, entice new doctors to set up practice on the Big Island?
7: One of the biggest uh, incentives used, really, by uh, all states in the country is the is loan repayment program. So the federal government uh, sends over uh, matching funds. The state legislature would then uh, match that, and then we go ahead and and uh, get new doctors coming right out of medical school with that heavy uh, loan burden. We'll give them some relief, you know, and say, "Come practice in our state, and we'll give you." Uh, will help repay some of those loans. Lisa Rantz, head of the Hawaii State Rural Health Association, says for a long time the Big Island didn't have access, however, to uh, this loan repayment pool of money. Here's Rantz. So we have
8: the Hawaii State Loan Repayment Program, but they only do loan repayment if you're in a physician shortage area, which Mm. we weren't for any of our rural counties. And without getting a health profession shortage area designation, or a HIPSA, they don't qualify for loan
7: repayment. The, the Big Island has since received this designation, which has allowed other funding sources uh, to also flow in, according to RANDS. And the timing could have not have been any better because last year state lawmakers actually, if you recall, cut funding to the, to the state loan repayment program. Uh, which made it a little harder for neighbor islands to hang that help wanted sign. Grants, however, was able to secure some county grants and private funding to continue to recruit new doctors uh, during this pandemic. So a bright spot, I think, for the doctor shortage there.
0: Well, is there anything else that the Big Island is doing to try and just keep the doctors they have? The biggest
7: challenge for Big Island doctors, especially for those in private practices, is that general excise tax, right, or the GET, a 4% tax usually done in all businesses. But uh, unlike most businesses, doctors serving the state's most vulnerable population through Medicare are, are not actually able to pass that on to their patient.
0: So does that mean that doctors then will be less inclined to serve Medicare patients?
7: That is what uh, is being seen on on the Big Island. You know, they're screening their patients beforehand, and if it's uh, not something perhaps that is worth their time in a way, and then it is sad, but it is a bottom line, um, they'll refer them off and you'll see them going to urgent care clinics and and other clinics where uh, they can get that that care. And Hawaii doctors have sought tax relief in the past, Uh, There was a G.E.T. exemption bill proposed last session that made it through the state Senate, but didn't quite make it out uh, of the legislature. Hilo radiologist John Morris Wade says all of these sort of financial hurdles for doctors have combined to create what he calls the perfect storm. Here's Wade.
8: And Sebastian Younger, the author of of that book, was describing how a couple of different fronts, a couple of, of unusual lows all came together. To form what was essentially a, a hurricane-like storm off the uh, off the coast of New England. Individually, each of those things really weren't causing a necessarily a problem, but a combination of five or six different weather patterns created a unique weather event upon which he based his book. And in much the same way, um, you know, we're looking at a lot of different things that have happened, the G.E.T. tax, the uh, high cost of living in Hawaii, our Medicare reimbursement rate, and our argument is is that each one of these things might be fine in and of themselves, but in combination have created an environment where Hawaii is now more than 1,000 physicians short.
7: A thousand doctors short, that is the case for the entire state of Hawaii. And according to Dr. Wade uh, in his analysis for the Big Island's doctor shortage, if things continue along this uh, route, uh, the doctor shortage could actually jump to 72% uh, by 2030.
0: Oh, that's very scary. Very scary. Makes you want to leave the Big Island or not uh, move over there.
7: Exactly, and if things don't change, if things like the GET exemption bill perhaps isn't introduced or any sort of uh, incentive through the state re- uh, loan repayment programs, we really are going to see this problem uh, get worse.
0: All right. Well, thanks so much, Kuvehi. Mahalo. That was HPR reporter Kuvehi Reishi talking with us about Hawaii's doctor shortage. You can find her story online at HawaiiPublicRadio.org. That is it for this Aloha Friday Monday is the Martin Luther King holiday and we're gonna be preempted for the takeaway special MLK and the fierce urgency of now so we'll see you back here on Tuesday but what are your thoughts about the Black Lives Matter movement? Call or talk back line. That's 808-792-8217. You can also email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Post your comments on Facebook or Twitter. You can also listen back to our shows on the conversation page on our HPR website. Our program produced by Lillian Sarnheimer, Pitino and Jason Ubai. The backyard Quiz, written by John DeMello, and our theme music, courtesy of Gypsy 808. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us on Tuesday and pick up the conversation.